Welcome to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. Every week, she's bringing inspiring guests to help you embrace motherhood the cool mom way. Emily knows firsthand being a mom is hard AF, but she's passionate that doesn't need to be the end of the story. Shift your perspective on what it means to be a mom while learning practical tips and mom hacks you can use right away. Stay you while nailing the mom game. That's what being a cool mom is all about. Class is now in session. Here's your host, Emily Kylo. Hello, hello, gorgeous goddesses, and welcome back to the Cool Mom 101 podcast. I am your host, Emily Kylo, and I'm so, so grateful to each and every one of you gorgeous babes for tuning in. I hope you're having a fabulous day. So before we get into the episode, I wanted to talk to you about my confidence crush course. I'm so, so excited to be bringing this to you. It's launching very soon, this very month indeed. So we're in March now and it is coming out before the end of the month. So if you are sometimes feeling like areas of your life could really use a confidence boost, It's time to invest in yourself and start seeing major results in all areas of your life. So this course is for you if you know you have a fire inside you and ideas waiting to be released, but you're feeling stuck. It's for you if you often feel envious of women putting themselves out there and you know that that's how you want to be and you're like, how do I get there? Don't worry, girl, I got you. If you don't have the confidence to start the biz, ask them out or create your reality the way you desire it, then this course is for you. So Confidence Crush is a four-week course to create your ultimate confidence glow up. So in this four-week course, you guys are so much freaking value. You're getting four modules. So one area of focus for each module. There's video recordings to get you set up for the work you'll be doing. There is four manifestation and meditation audios, workbooks with journal prompts, access to a private Facebook group so you can connect with some new besties who are also on this confidence journey with you. Plus, when you enroll when the co- when the course launches, you will get a limited bonus, which is a 90-minute Q&A call with me. So it's a group Q&A call, and that's probably only going to happen the first round of this course. So this is the time to get in live. So make sure that you are staying tuned and you're on my email list to get notified when it releases. So I'm so, so excited to be bringing this to you. Okay, let's get into today's episode. So for episode 59, I'm joined by Loren Thompson, who is the founder of Mindful Space and a registered therapeutic counselor. So this was such an amazing conversation that I could have talked to her about these things for hours, but you know, We didn't have that type of time, but today's lessons include the most common struggles she sees with new parents in terms of their relationship, what couples can do to help mentally and emotionally prepare for birth, how we can be our own source of support and how that relates to self-soothing and self-regulating. We chat about how every relationship has a love bank and the fact that parenthood takes a lot of withdrawals from it. Therefore, you want to know how to intentionally make deposits for a happier, healthier relationship. Yes, please. Who doesn't want that? We also talk about her journey of healing and the different tools that she uses. So it was awesome to hear from her what's worked well for her. And lastly, we talk about her beautiful, transformative home birth experience. So... 
so many juicy topics on this and who doesn't want more love and better relationships in their lives. I think we all do. So let's get to it. Here's episode 59 with Loren Thompson. So welcome to the show, Loren. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Emily. It is a pleasure to be here with you and thank you for inviting me. I am so excited. I don't think I've told you that this yet, but I have been wanting to have a counselor on my podcast pretty much since I started, which is almost two years ago now. So I'm really excited, <laughs> really excited to have you. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. That's so sweet. I'm really, I'm really grateful to be the counselor here for you. Oh, it's amazing. Okay. So we're going to jump right into the mom fashions. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Awesome. What's the best part of being a mom? Actually, I love this question. I love this question because there's so many things and I had to narrow it down to my absolute favorite. And I have to say it's the cuddles, the snuggles, the hugs and the kisses. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You know, my kid is not much of a cuddler. And I was joking with my partner because he's not as much either. I was joking. If we have another kid, I mean, that kid better be a cuddler. (laughs) I love that. My son is very snuggly and cuddly. And my favorite time of the night is before bed. He hops into our bed and he snuggles up with us and he holds my little finger. And we do this thing and it's called next to mama. So he likes to turn my head and our heads are like almost touching. And it's just so, it's my favorite time. During the day, I don't, I get the odd cuddle here and there, which I treasure. It's those ones at night that he holds my hand and he's just so close. I'm just like, oh, I'm in heaven. (laughs) Like melting, like melt your heart, right? That is so sweet. So So switching gears a bit, what is the hardest lesson you've learned so far as a mom? Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's such a lesson, but the hardest thing for me was not being able to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And I remember breastfeeding on the couch and I saw the mountain of dishes and all the things that I could be doing. And I was sat there breastfeeding and it was so hard. I didn't realize Or I knew before I had lots of lists in my head of stuff to do. And I was quite productive in the day in meaning doing a lot of things. And it wasn't a problem before because there was no baby that needed my attention. So when I had little one there, that was the hardest thing for me was to give up, let go of, leave, and just pull myself into the task at hand of being mum or whatever was needed in that moment. yeah. That's a such a huge one though and I'm sure you hear it from your clients all the time, but I hear that one from mums all the time and I definitely still experience that. Sometimes I'm still frustrated. Like I don't want to do this right now. I want to go lay in a bath for 3 hours and then read my book for the next 3. But when when are we getting 6 hour chunks of time? It's rare. <laughs> so, definitely appreciate that one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank you. So, Loren, as a busy professional and a mama, I love asking this question of women, what is your daily ritual? Because I find that women, especially who are entrepreneurs, 
really have certain parts of their ritual that keep them grounded and able to show up as their best selves. So I'd love to hear from you. What is your daily ritual? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I used to have lots of extravagant rituals before (laughs) becoming a mom. (laughs) Really impressive ones that I would love to share. But to be honest, after coming becoming a mum, I haven't really had, oh, I have one solid ritual, which I'm going to share with you. It's not the extravagant ones that I would be hoping I would be telling you, but it's the true one. And my ritual every morning is that I have a thermos and I'm holding it here. I have gone through quite a few of these, but I live with this by my side the entire day. It doesn't matter where I am. And every morning it gets hot water in it, lemon juice, Uh, a shot or two of the true marine collagen and about six or seven drops of oregano oil. And then I top it up with hot water all throughout the day, probably gets topped up four or five times. This is the only ritual I've been able to hang on to. (laughs) But you know what? That is such a key one. I actually also start my day, well, just warm lemon water right now, but I love your additions. You know what? It's interesting because I do take collagen And I'm just thinking now, see, this is why I love this question. Why don't I put those two things together? That's efficiency right there. (laughs) I'm missing that. (laughs) Yes. And it started off, I actually, having baby, I didn't get a single stretch mark. And I took collagen. Actually, I went to the bone broth place. And the lady was the one who introduced me to collagen with the, I think it's a veal broth has the most collagen because I was pregnant Mm. at the time. So she wanted to help me out as a pregnant mama. And she said, look, this bone broth's really good. I'm going to put a quail egg in it and I'm going to put a shot of collagen in. So every day I was going on the way to school, counseling school, I was going to have, and I was pregnant, yes, at school, the end of school. (laughs) And I had this cup of bone broth. And then she, I got curious about the collagen because I, I didn't really know much about it. And so we, I started buying these big packs. And that was something consistently, consistently I did throughout the pregnancy was the bone broth and the collagen. And I thought, because I've had stretch marks before, I've got them on my side of the leg. I got them when I was like 16 or something. And they're still there. But I was surprised I didn't. And I was wondering if the collagen maybe played. Yeah. I think from what I know, it's a strong possibility that it at least aided because, yeah, stretch marks are really the breakdown of collagen. Essentially, the way I understand it is that, yeah, your skin stretches and stretches. And then at a certain point, if the collagen isn't there to support that, then it kind of breaks down. That's the way I understand it. So I bet that, I mean, it can't hurt. It's funny because I've recently got back into bone broth, so I make my own. And I just, I don't know, I do find that I feel different even. And I know it's really good for healing the stomach. So I'm focusing a lot on my gut health right now. And I just know there's a lot of benefits that way. And then also, yeah, there's so much collagen. And that's interesting. I didn't know that veal has the highest kind of content. Yes, yes. I learned that from the meat guy. The the place that I went to were butchers or some... They did the bones. Yeah. And they told me that the veal, the baby calf bones have the most collagen. Yeah. It's the best collagen. Yeah. That makes sense because frankly, they're young. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what is your, what is something, sorry, that you're most grateful for in your life right now? Yeah, I am, oh, I think most grateful for the place I am personally in my own healing journey. 
and there was a long time where I was very confused. A lot of pieces or a lot of ends were still open for me. A lot of things I hadn't really understood a lot about my childhood and how that impacted me. And I knew there was a lot of things there, but a lot of these circles were open for mm. me. And I feel that over these last probably three or four years, I've had a lot of them close for me. And I've been able to, for the first time, kind of see the light still at the end of a very long tunnel. But I've, I've never really got to that place where I saw, okay, there is an end to this. <laughs> this healing that I've been doing for a long time. Mm -hmm. So being in that place has helped me in so many areas, just more confidence as a person, as a mum in my work. Like I've always been confident before, but I was always missing like with these half, you know, unopened things for me. It was like there was the confidence, but there was a very big part of me that was very, like a lot of insecurities. So it's like they're kind of matching up. Yes. I love that. And it's so interesting too, when you're on a journey of healing yourself and just of, if you're in any sort of personal development or self-development world or journey, I think something that has come up for me a lot, and it sounds like you too, is realizing that it's not some perfect linear journey. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just go, oh, I'm constantly better, constantly better. Sometimes you have a little setback. Sometimes you're just not on that, the right path, or maybe you're not doing the right modality. That's what I've noticed with me too. Sometimes I, I feel I need to try something a bit new or a different way to kind of approach this learning. So it sounds like you've had a bit of that experience too. Yes. And I, yes, I totally agree with you that it's not, it's not, Linear. It reminds me of the graph of like an investment curve. But over time, there's a gradual on a good one. There's a gradual like incline up. And that's kind of how it, it it's um, definitely felt for me that it's been like all over the place. But the grad, like if you look at it on the whole, there is a gradual incline. It's just that yeah, in that gradual incline, there was lots of peaks and troughs. <laughs> Absolutely. That's really to be expected, though. I think if you're actually doing the work, I've never heard of someone who hasn't experienced it in that way, where there is those kind of peaks and troughs, as you're mentioning. So it's par for the course. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, last one of this opening series here, Loren. This question gets a little deep and I love asking it. So what is your why for your life? What gets you up in the morning, excited to work with all your amazing clients, make the courses you're making to be the best mom you can be, partner you can be, and continue on this healing journey? What is your why for your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a beautiful question and a really important question to know our whys and yeah love that question. I I think it ties back also to what I'm most grateful for because what gets me up is that kind of I am getting better or I am healing. So why is that this works? Like it is possible that I can heal these, you know, things from my past and they can lose their power for the future. And this hope that I bring a lot of, you know, hope in the work that I do Because on a personal level, I've been doing this work for the last 20 years. And that's, 
you know, a long time. So mm -hmm. on an experiential level, I know it, I've experienced it, it working. So I think for me, it's because I know that I can be the best help to others when I'm in a place where I can help. And that's, that's, and cause I get a lot of meaning from helping and adding value to people's lives and giving and being a positive influence. You know, all these things have been really fundamentally a part of me from very young. And I was counseling, I think at the age of 16, I started uh, back in New Zealand. Um, but I hadn't done the work. So again, like I had a level of this desire in me to want to help is quite old. And also kind of like I would say, almost innately in me wanting to give and to contribute to the well-being of others. And but now I feel like I'm in a place where I that desire is still there for me. But I'm now in a more authentic and genuine and sustainable place that I can really make that reality work. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. So it sounds like you really are here to be of service to others in their healing journeys. And it's so cool to hear. I mean, it's really common, I think, that when people talk about their purpose or their why, that they've experienced something along the way that they feel strongly that they can really teach and share with others. And so I love, love hearing that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So this segues actually perfectly into my next question because I'm sure this is going to relate. So I would love, Loren, if you could share how you got started in your business and so how you got started in counseling, I guess. So what your journey was with that. So I, I am currently registered counselor. I'm registered with two associations here in BC and I have a counseling practice named Mindful Space Counseling. And in the work that I do, I see individuals, couples and families. And my real passion is supporting couples who are on the journey to parenthood. So kind of parent proofing the, rela the relationship, strengthening it, setting up these really important like rituals to so that couples go into the parenting into parenting really connected to each other well supported close great good friends and like a, a really close team and then kind of set them up with some some strategies and tools to maintain that through the as the kids get older and as new kids arrive so that's kind of where my my passion lies. And as I was mentioning before, I did, I was in the counseling capacity from the age of 16 and did work with a lot of youth projects in our city. And I was on the first youth council elected in our city and helped run youth events and set up youth drop-in centers and put on events, very much volunteered my time for 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 122, probably for the next seven years was heavily involved, yeah. And had a very mentoring role with like my peers and even people that were older than me had had this kind of rapport where people felt comfortable to kind of tell me their problems or what was happening for them. And I was very intuitive as a young person. And I remember I went to this youth hostel picking up some young kids for 
same age as me, young kids were probably <laughs> 17, yeah, picking up them. And I remember hugging this young girl in this youth hostel was having a hard time. And as I hugged her, I just literally saw a picture of her falling off a building or something. I can't remember. And I just looked at her and I was like, I, I said to her, I said, have you been thinking about taking your own life? And she literally just burst into tears and she said, how did you know? She said, did you just pick that up from hugging me? And I said, I think so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and very, in, I was just a very pure, intuitive child and as a teenager and just wanted to help. And I had this, I think, ability and empathy to really connect with people and to know what was going on for them in a really deep and real way. And I used to have a gift for noticing if people had migraines and because I would start picking up like a, a, I don't have migraines. So I would start picking up like a pulsing in my head and I'd be like, and the person I'd talking to, I'd be like, I just wanted to ask, have you got a really bad migraine at this moment? And they're like, yep. <laughs> and it was, yeah. So I kind of, and a lot of people around me, they, had you know I'd have people older you know were friends of my families would come and tell me that they were going through a divorce or they were thinking of leaving their husband and they were 10 15 20 years older than me so I'd get a lot a lot of information and I would just listen listen to them so that yeah so that and then I kind of went off and did my own thing went away from that as I got older and then I kind of noticed that I've gone full circle and being here and setting up mindful space, and I've been in private practice now here for three years, I feel like it, it is a full circle for me, that I've really, again, done that work in the middle that needed to be done so that I could come back to kind of my calling and continue that work and allow those kind of gifts in me to have a space to be shared with the world. Mm -hmm, which is so, so important. And I always coach any of my clients and friends, et cetera, too, that when you look at your gifts and what you can offer the world, it's actually a little bit selfish to keep them to yourself. <laughs> so I say this to people when they're worried about putting themselves out there or going after that career that they know they want to do. Like, actually, it's a little bit rude and selfish if you don't offer your gifts, your unique gifts to the world. And I do feel that way. And it sounds like you have such amazing gifts in those areas of empathy and being able to really understand people. And so it's so, so beautiful. You're able to share that with everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, I love the way that you put that. It helps to put a little spin on it for people to think about this is more than just them. Yes. Exactly. I find that really helps me and then, yeah, my clients and like I said, anyone who will listen. But sometimes it's good to get out of how everything's about you <laughs> and think, you know, how else am I going to affect other people's lives when I'm showing up in these ways? And like for you, how are you going to affect all your clients' lives when you have gone through the work and done the work and can come out the other side as the version of you that you are right now? Think of all the lies you've been able to impact. And if you hadn't listened to the, that pull and tapped into what those gifts were, you wouldn't have been able to help these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's really the way I look at it. So there was so much in that that I would love to talk about. And the first place that I would like to start with is, so you said with your practice now, you really do focus a lot and you have a passion for 
couples or is it individuals as well? Couples and individuals who are becoming parents or do you mo- mostly focus on couples? Yeah. So I, I work with, with individuals with pregnant birthing who are on the journey, who may be on their own. I totally work with them. My passion is with couples in a team environment and however that looks because relationship stress. So having, being in a relationship where things are not so great just makes parenting 10 times harder. And it's already a, you know, it's already a tough job as it is and a tough role to, to do. And where, where I come from is, you know, I see people, individuals who suffer from childhood, from, from the things that they experience at the hands of their well-meaning parents who were limited. All of our parents were limited. And so my, my kind of hope is if I can help the families to and the couples within the relationship to be happy and to be fulfilled and to have a supportive, collaborative kind of union, that that makes it better for everybody. And then hopefully limiting less trauma for the future. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, if that isn't a good vision, I don't know what is. That's awesome. So when you work with parents, so let's use that as the example. When you're working with these parents and these couples and you are trying to prepare them for the onslaught that is raising a child, what are some of the most common struggles that you see come up for these couples? Yeah. So the, I actually use the Gottman um, method. So there's the, I'm not sure if you're aware of John and Julie Gottman. They, uh, they found the Gottman Institute and I follow their couples their, their, their couples method for uh, couples counseling and what they set out I find is extremely helpful and they give a lot of tools and resources for parents to take away and they can have these you know at their disposal whenever whenever they want but to answer your question what are the most you know the the most common struggles or what kind of trips up a lot of couples and I think from my opinion and what I've seen is our own unfinished business, our own stuff for a lot of parents and for a lot of mums, you know, at the time of being pregnant or even before even conceiving, sometimes if childhood was not a great place or the family was not so great, sometimes that really can bring up a lot of the past for for someone. And that can kind of throw off, you know, in the relationship because now there's like, other stuff that's coming in and the clouding out or the clearing up what belongs to you and this is your personal stuff from your past or from like your character style or your personality this is yours this belongs to you and then this is the relationships and for a lot of couples having that clarity is super important because what it sometimes ends up doing is it all gets lumped into the relationship. And then that becomes very challenging because a lot of that actually doesn't belong to the relationship. That might belong to you. And that's something on your, on your side that needs some help or some work or some healing. And then that belongs to you. And knowing each other's, I think that is knowing each other's trigger points and knowing each other's stresses, knowing each other's limits and having an understanding of how they are there and how they came about can also help bring some compassion and empathy into the equation that 
kind of helps take away some of the turbulence that comes along with our own stuff that comes up. Mm-hmm. A lot of our own stuff as parents comes up. And we're often confronted with stuff our mum or parents did that we now do, that we now wish we didn't do. And then that angers us and upsets us. And then it's not about what we did. It's about how upset we are with ourselves for doing that. And then partner comes in the door and he didn't look at us a certain way. And now we're upset about that. But it's because of all this other backlog of stuff. So, yeah. Does that... (laughs) No, this is great. I love this conversation. Yeah, it's there's just so much. And I think as someone who has recently ish, I mean, I had a baby two years ago, but sometimes it still feels recent. (laughs) I can just attest to a lot of what you're saying. And I would have loved to have worked with you before. (laughs) But you know, here we are. Because even the strongest of couples, I think, can struggle because you add in the stresses of sleep deprivation, which is basically cruel. I mean, they use it as torture. So just think about that. (laughs) Um, You're sleep deprived. And I found for us too, and I'm sure so many couples can relate to this, that if you hadn't figured out a good communication style before, um, when it's 4am and the baby's screaming, it's really hard to have a great communication style or be that good communicator with your partner because you're just exhausted. (laughs) So (laughs) I can totally see how this work before would have been amazing. And I also wanted to ask you on that note, so what are some things that couples can do to really prepare? So one that you've definitely mentioned is working through your own stuff. (laughs) I think that sounds like a very good place to start. What else would you recommend? Yeah, so you and you brought kind of brought that up in that space where, you know, parents coming in, it's kind of often that their whole world or structure or their routines all, all over the show. And there's lack of sleep, maybe lack of like lots of things. Lots of things are kind of missing from what was normally there. And having a way to communicate you know, I'm really feeling so crappy now. I just need this. And having that rapport with each other. And that's why before it's important for me that the friendship is there. Because when the friendship's there, meaning the relationship goodwill pot is full, that there's a lot of money in the relationship bank. Because parenthood will withdraw a lot out of that relationship. So going into parents with a full pot is obviously ideal. Because that's the place where we cut each other some slack. When we've got an empty pot, you can notice anything your partner does, puts one foot wrong, is like, end. That's it, done. But if your pot's full, they can put 100 feet wrong and it doesn't matter because there's like that goodwill in you that built up like good feelings towards each other. So yeah, having that full and having those rituals of connection is what I really work on um, for couples meaning when baby comes, you still have those moments where you connect with each other. And some of these I'm talking about are one minute, six seconds. They're like 20 seconds because it's the regular connecting, having those check-ins like, hey, honey, how are you doing? Like, what's happening for you today? What's your feeling? Taking those moments to check in with each other regularly. But then, of course, to have an effective check-in, you have to know how to communicate. You have to be aware of what am I feeling? Can I put into words my internal experience so that someone else can understand? 
So we have to have that skill to be able to do that. And then on the other hand, there has to be the skill of how do you listen? Like just truly listen and hear and empathize and reflect and, and kind of be with that person as they're sharing and being that for each other. Mm, that is so great. I know something that comes up a lot for friends of mine who are moms and in my life too is this idea, because I've had this conversation so many times with women, is this idea of almost the keeping score that can be hard, frankly, to move away from. Like I really have to put a concerted effort to not feel like I'm trying to keep score sometimes. And I hear this so much from especially moms because there's certain things that seem to kind of fall a little more on you. So I would love to hear from you your experience with that. Do you find that's common in your experience as well? And what do you kind of advise your clients to do in those situations? Yeah. Yes. So keeping a score for me, there's whoever's keeping score normally is a sign that they're missing something that they're either giving, they're not feeling it's a fair exchange. Right. So there's a need to keep a score because it's not equal. So somehow it's not equal. So it's obviously very imminent to that person or evident to that person that things are out of balance. And scorekeeping is a way, I think, of just trying to bring more balance back in. It's not a very effective way <laughs> because it often gets the other person's back up and then it becomes something completely different and often takes a couple away from that balance they're trying to achieve and probably makes the balance and divide even bigger. So, and this is where, you know, it's important to realize the person who's keeping score, I would be curious to know what it, where is the imbalance for you? Where, what are you feeling is unfair? What are you noticing that you're not getting and you need more of? and kind of uncovering that information and then seeing well what what can what can be done about the current situation that might get you more of what you want mhm mm that sounds like a good way to go about it <laughs> and then i guess you would need to have those communication skills that we kind of have touched on to be able to bring this up in a way that is not, can you kind of mention this too? I think you often can kind of not force, but make your partner feel defensive if you bring certain things up in a way that's not really coming from that kind place or, you know, in a way that they're going to be able to understand it. So I'm sure that's a key piece too, that you need to, once you know that there, you feel there's an imbalance, I guess, how do you go about communicating that? Yes, yes. And that, that, is, that is very important. If you notice the other person is getting defensive or like they're closing down or something, you know, that's often we look at kind of what words are being said. And for example, you jerk, you never put away the dishes. You're such a slob. Why, do you, why are you such a pain in the ass? You know, that AKA, I'm struggling, I'm really tired, I'm exhausted, I really just want someone to look after me. So we almost need like our own internal translator because our natural example is just to, you know, want to stab and want to attack and be like, I'm not happy with this. 
you're part of the problem. So, Do the effing dishes. No. <laughs> put away your clothes. Like, help me. Be more there for me. You know, <laughs> just, so we almost, because that in us is a very like, um, that's a very authentic, genuine, you know, something in us is not happy. So this is where in therapy, we help people to develop their own internal translator. So the internal translator is able to look inside and see, oh, well, things are not working for me. I'm not super happy with what's going on in this situation. I wonder what I'm not happy about. And then we start going in and we look at, oh, okay. So at the bottom of this, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, and I need a break. So we've got to find like the root under that. Because if we talk about this, this is like going to the root cause. If you talk about the symptoms, which most couples talk about, is the fluffy top things that are actually not at the root. Getting to the root, I need more support on a day-to-day basis. I want more practical help from you. And then we, yes, we, we word that. So that's where we use our translator, our very relational translator that talks about our own unique experience and describes what's happening for us on an inside level. Because that's the window we give our partner is the way we communicate. Because when a person truly understands what our internal experience is, they're more likely to want to do something about it. Because the people closest, they love us. You know, your partner, hopefully, normally, loves you, wants to do the best for you. But often what blocks that is understanding. So when the partner sees, oh, wow, she really is hurting. She really is struggling. Or, you know, I can see that you're really going through a hard time. And when we can put that in words, like, I'm really not doing great. I'm, I'm feeling really <sighs> deflated or a little depressed. And I'm noticing that I, I really need some more support. And that support might look like this, this, and this. Could you just give me an extra hug today? Could you just make me a cup of tea? I'd really just love this. Or could I have a bath? Or, you know, can something. So we're giving lists of things. So it's almost like the internal translator took that ball of like energy or emotion we were feeling and broke it all down. And then by the time we've internally broken it down, then we can say, then we're able to kind of communicate it in a way. That's, that's ideal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure everyone, like we talked about, comes with their own stuff and their own way of communicating and all those intricacies. But I really, really appreciate you giving some specific examples. I find that's so helpful just to hear what the language kind of can sound like. And it's not, I'm sure, exact for everyone, but just being able to hear you talk in that way, I think is so helpful. And I know all the audience is going to love it too, because sometimes you just talk about theories, you know, it's like, okay, yes, it's great in theory that you make sure you can understand how you're feeling and then communicate it. But what does that actually sound like? I I find it so helpful. And with parenting kind of tips as well, I find it so helpful when people say it the whole way out. (laughs) Like, this is how I talk to my toddler when he's having a meltdown on the floor. (laughs) You know, when people say the words that they would say, it's so, so helpful. Mm -hmm. 
So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, that's it's good. And when the relationship pops full again, you can kind of there's leeway to be like, oh, vomit out. Like I'm just like, you know, say some things that you might not really want to be saying. And there's kind of that that leeway in in there. But there are certain things that you you don't we don't want to be doing. We don't want to be name calling. We don't want to be putting down. We don't want to say hurtful things because that just really completely sabotages first of all any attempt for you to be heard and to probably get what it is that you need and it's also a way of self-sabotaging too because it just gives distance to the to the other person and what all of us desperately want is that closeness so it is it's kind of a form of self-sabotage and really needs to be stayed away from and understood that when we're saying or you're so stupid or such an idiot or whatever we're saying that when we say those words we have that internal translator that can interpret you're an idiot to my needs of this are not being met when you do this right and that's the way to like you said i think develop that closeness that i think everybody wants and craves and frankly needs and i love that you brought up that it's partly self-sabotage as well because then you're just pushing them away as well. And then you're wondering why you're not closer. <laughs> it's like, well, why would you want to get burned? <laughs> you're going to stay away from the fire, basically. <laughs> totally get that. So something I wanted to touch on that you've mentioned a couple of times and I just love this idea is the idea of the bank account. Is it like the love bank account? And I have heard this before, but I would love for you to just explain that idea. And then if you could say some of the ways that you can help to put deposits in, because I totally, when you said that, I was like, yes, parenthood does take a lot of withdrawals from the love bank. It's just because it is a constant job and there are stressors. So it is taking a lot of withdrawals. So I'd love to hear from you what the love bank is or whatever you named it, whatever it's called and how we can make more deposits. Nice. Yes. And that's the, that is really the, the key for, well, the masters in relationships, the ones that, um, well, using the Gottman's term, the one who really stay together and have really happy relationships have very full relationship pots. and the disasters of relationship. And I've been one of these, so I'm talking from experience you can be a disaster and become a master. You can learn to transition. So you're not doomed if you're a disaster because I'm definitely started as a disaster. Yeah, so what the masters do is kind of what we do in couples therapy, which is telling a couple all the things that showing a couple how to do all those things to keep the love pot full. And to give, yeah, to give you a few of, well, some of the things to do is firstly to have an awareness that there is like a pot Mm, yeah <laughs> relationship has a balance often we're really aware of it when we go into the negative because things get really crappy and that's the point we want to really try to stay away from and that's why I like to help couples new into relationship who don't get anywhere near that spot yet to help them kind of build the buffer and know that, you know, when we get into these negative areas, this becomes a lot harder to fill up because generally most of the, the two parties involved are, you know, the goodwill so gone that it takes a lot more work to get back to a zero and then into a positive. 
and you might notice this with money too like stay in the black and it um it can be easier to go from there and same just same is true that i found in in the relationship too it's easier to keep it in the positive than to let it go right to the negative and try and do the work to bring it back up yeah so some of the things are these rituals of connection so life children take a couple apart they bring distance to a couple working in different places not being around each other so very important to keep connected with the one you love meaning have those times where you're interested in their day even just like you know one thing in the morning before you leave like hey what are you looking forward to today i'd love to know what you're looking forward to today then they have the 6 second kiss so not a 1 second peck but can you prolong it out to 6 seconds because it just lasts a lot longer that's a more moment to connect coming home from work that few seconds hey how are you how are you feeling i like to do i do with my husband we're at a 0 to 10 when he comes home from work i like to know is he coming home in the door completely depleted at a 2 or is he coming in at 8 or 9 and then i can let him know hey i'm at a 5 or a 6 or hey i'm at a 2 or hey i'm at a 9 because then we know that can be like a literally seconds and now i know for the rest of the night at home with kids that how that night's going to play out how that gives me some safety and security in the relationship and also it brings us together because we're a team we're like tag teaming hey i'm at this percentage i'm at this if it changes i'll let you know So when it changes, hey, you know, I was at a two. I took that ten minutes. I'm now at a seven. I'll pass the baton on to you. Mm. Now you go take care of yourself. Now where are you at? Okay, you need more time. So there, in between us parenting, we're also have this awareness of where each other is. So there's a closeness because we are aware of each other's world and what each other's going through. And that's important to me. I like to know what's happening for my partner because that gives me safety. in their relationship and I'm I don't want a parent on my own I want a parent with them mm-hmm. yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the choice that you made you're like nope I'm not doing this on my own <laughs> I love that example I'm going to try that because I think at the end of the day if my partner if he tells me that he's at a 2 I am more than happy and I'm at a 9 I'm more than happy to pick up the slack like I've no problem doing that. I think where we run into issues is yeah, if we don't have that kind of conversation and both of us are are at a two and then he says to me, "Oh, I'm very very tired." <laughs> or something like that and you're like, "Oh, really? Well, I'm tired too." You know, like that's I think where that disconnect can happen. So, I'm going to try that cuz I think that's a good idea to like I said just kind of relieve some of that tension around the for example like the tired conversation that i think comes up for a lot of parents that like i said i will feel happy to give if i'm at a 789 i've no problem i'll get give all day <laughs> so i love this mm-hmm. yeah and we also i like to encourage couples that if one is at a 2 that the other person really holds it that they're a little higher So the same with one's triggered. So if you notice your partner is starting to get really emotional, really grounding down, you're the other partner, really grounding down and this is not the time for you to get triggered. Like this is their time. Give them that that's their time and you as a part of this team use your efforts to stay grounded in you and hold your own until they come around. And then you can have your turn. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a really, really, really great advice. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so something that I really was curious to talk to you about, and I would love to ask you, is this idea about women being their own source of support. So not necessarily always having to look outside of yourself to give yourself the love and care that you need. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is so important. And this is kind of what we call in therapy is like self-regulating and self-soothing. So being your own sort of support, you know how to take care of yourself. So if you think of a child who has big emotions, they don't have the capacity to take care of themselves. And that's where as a parent, we're guiding them and nurturing them to the place where they reach maturity, which is the place where they can now take care of themselves on their own. Now, unfortunately, we all physically grow up, but we don't all emotionally grow up. So we also come to the table as parents at whatever emotional maturity we happen to be at. So when our development stop, you know, you know, for, you know, is sometimes different, different for everyone. So part of being our own support is helping ourselves grow up, helping ourselves to mature. And part of that process is grieving the losses the loss of what we didn't have and what we really needed, identifying what those were, having a lot of compassion and empathy for us, that little part of us that missed out and suffered for so long without that. So that's the process of helping ourselves to grow, to grow up to that maturity because asking someone to be mature, you know, we can all act, kids can act mature. You see them dress up, you know, little girls dressing up and pretending to be so we can pretend to be mature so as adults we can pretend on the outside to look mature but that's a very different thing to actually being mature and when you look at being your own support system if you're pretending that as a parent that's going to soon crack and crumble and that's not sustainable with lack of sleep and everything else that comes with that so that's where I kind of went back in the beginning that doing our own work, noticing if we do have some things that are showing up that may look like in quotation marks, immaturity on our heart, not our fault. You know, there's not to blame. It's just, we take responsibility that this is where we're at. This is where we're at. And yeah, we, we're gonna, we might need some help. We might need some help to, to mature in certain areas. So I think helping ourselves to reach that maturity it, to the place where we can now self-regulate and self-soothe. So we can't ask a child who's not mature to self-soothe and self-regulate. Same with an adult. We can't ask an immature, immature adult on an emotional level. No disrespect, because actually I've never met someone who's reached mature, you know, emotional maturity in the conditions they had as children. We all have something that needs some work. There's, I've never met one person who doesn't need any work on that. So, uh, yeah, so asking and, and without the tools of, no, of that, it's, it's kind of impossible. <laughs> it's kind of impossible. You can, you can act it for a while, but it won't really stick. Mm, wow. That is just, it is incredible really though that a lot of people might not think about this until 
you come face to face with like we're talking about when you all of a sudden have a child and you are sleep deprived. And then I think the cracks, <laughs> for lack of a better example, the cracks really start to show. And I think if you yeah, haven't taken the time to figure out how to, like you said, self-regulate or self-soothe, it makes it about a thousand times harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And for some people, impossible. Because it's like in a washing machine, you lose like where's up, where's down, where am I? All your, like any power in like control in a situation just goes. Mm. And that, that's very disempowering for, for a lot of people. And, you know, yeah, most of us, to be honest, don't go willy nilly to do our own self healing until we sometimes get come crashing down. <laughs> Yeah, that is often the case. I would definitely say I've seen that a lot. I would love to hear from your journey of figuring a lot of these things out. It sounds like you are in a position where you are able to self-soothe, self-regulate, and you have talked about how grateful you are for where you're at at this point in your life on your journey of really healing. I would love to hear what has helped you along that journey. Yeah, yes, my own therapist. I got asked this by a client the other day who had an initial consultation. She said to me, she says, do you have your own therapist? And I've got, I've got three of them. <laughs> I've got a couples therapist and I've got a professional supervisor and then I have my own therapist. So what has helped me is having, having support. And I remembered the first, um, well, I'd seen psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors when I was in my probably 23, 24, my mid-20s. But it wasn't until probably my early 30s when I met this one counselor and she introduced me. And it was my sister-in-law actually who put me onto this lady. And she was the one who first mentioned to me about meditation. She just said to me in the session, she's like, have you ever heard about meditation? And I hadn't. And I had pretty vague concept. I don't think I had much concept to what I, I was. I think it was completely foreign to me, to be honest. And she said, well, just go home and Google it and see what you can find, whatever draws your interest. So I went away and I Googled it and I found the Deepak Chopra and Oprah's, their very first, oh, actually it was, he, it wasn't, it was a 21 day meditation challenge. It was before Oprah and Deepak. It was one of the guys from the deep the Chopra Center who was doing this it was mm. actually before they did it. So it was probably 2013. Okay. Yeah. And I did their, their challenge. Anyway, that was my first taste of um, meditation. And I started off as guided meditation, ended up years later spending uh, 16 days in a monastery in Myanmar have done quite a few meditation retreats. So in that span from 2013 to now. So what helped me was also discovering meditation, having my own personal practice, meaning integrating this practice into my life in a real tangible way. Took a long time, was a process to do that. But that, and also part of my healing actually before the meditation I came across Reiki mm. and Reiki uh, I had was in a really low place 
and I didn't know anything about Reiki. And I just, in my brain, decided that what I needed was a Reiki treatment for just for some reason. And so I just looked in the book and found this Reiki practitioner, didn't know anything about it, and went. And then about seven years later, I was in the north of Thailand, and I had uh, there was a Reiki master who was offering Reiki course starting the next morning. And I saw it on the board, and I thought, oh, I'll just ask him. And so I ended up doing the class. So it was basically my own counseling, Reiki, and meditation. Mm. Yeah, and like we talked about, you, I feel like you really need to find those different modalities that are going to work for you because I don't think it's one size fits all. And I think it's really, really important from everyone that I've seen who's done a lot of healing to find those different things that are going to just add another layer of, of the healing for you. And for me, meditation has definitely been huge. I've also done therapy. I've also gotten really into tapping. That's probably my newest favorite thing to do. And I think it's cool that you can always learn these new tools. And Reiki is something that I keep, it keeps kind of coming up for me. I'm like, I think I need to just go try it out because <laughs> I've done a couple of sessions before, but I think I would like to do the training. So I think it's cool to just understand on another level, like we're saying, the different energy centers and how you can really be your own healer in a lot of ways. It's really cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you all day, but I want to be respectful of your time. <laughs> so the last thing I want to ask you about before we just get to the uh, lightning round was actually, because we kind of bonded over this a bit, was your experience with birth. Mm. I love sharing different stories of birth when there's someone who is open to talking about it. Because for me, as someone who I did have a home birth, and I was just really interested in seeing if I if that would work for me. I didn't know a single soul who'd done anything like that. So I love being able to share different birth stories. So we'd love to hear yours. Thank you. Thank you. And actually, I really love sharing it. It was such a great experience for my, my husband and I, and actually brought us so much closer together. I had no idea how much of an emotional support he was and had the capacity to be. And I had a doula um, with me and she was, she trains a lot of the doulas in the city. I happened to get her, I don't know how we got her, but she was been to about 12,000 births, I think, for a long, long time she's been doulaing. And she said that uh, my partner was the top 10 birth, birthing partner she's ever seen. And he was on my back and he was toning. Nobody taught him how to do this. He just intuitively, was so present with me that the whole time I never felt alone. Even though I was experiencing everything, him by my side, I was felt so supported. And he had his hands. I was on a, on a Swiss ball. Yep. <laughs> best place. We had a pool and everything and a bath. And, you know, being on that ball with the pressure was the best place for me. So I was on that ball the whole time. And he would just come, he was behind me and he would tone. And he would like do these like really deep noises. And often when I was feeling the waves coming, so the birthing waves, I never felt the peak. And I literally felt him drawing the peak out my back and into his hands. Mm. And when a wave came without him there, it was, I felt the peak. 
when he was there, I didn't feel the peak. So he, he was there the whole time. So the doula was second. So the doula was doing all his stuff. And he was, he was the main man. He was the main support for me during the birth. And I just was so, so special, even after I was getting stitched up. And he knows I don't like needles. So he covered my eyes. Mm. And I started crying. It was just, he, was, he just held me. We were on our bed. And he just held me after. And he just, like, covered my eyes and held me. Mm. And he didn't even ask. He just, like, did it so that I wouldn't see the needle. And he just, like sat with me after I wanted a shower after and the midwives took baby into the lounge and they were sniffing baby because they love the smell. So they were just having a ball and I just felt like this animal that wanted to recover. So I was in the bathroom pitch black, the whole house was pitch black and I was just having the shower. It was the best shower, like after just washing all the blood and everything off. And, and he just sat with me in the toilet, like he sat on the toilet while I was in the bath and just like, sat with me and like the whole thing I just he just like his beautiful presence was just there with me the whole time and it was it was just so beautiful I love that thank you for sharing it's it's so beautiful to hear your story and just to hear as you were talking about it I, I guess I'm a very visualization oriented person because I could kind of see it, even though I don't even know what your house looks like. (laughs) I'm just like picturing it and picturing kind of that energy transfer almost that you were talking about. And I will say that labor can be such a transformative experience, I think, for so many women. And being able to have your partner there to experience it, it can be really, really powerful. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Thank you. It's so nice to hear the positive stories too, because I don't know about you, but when I was about seven, eight months pregnant, everyone wanted to tell me about their emergency C-section. <laughs> I was like, no, stop. <laughs> and nothing, I have zero against C-sections or, or anything like that. I'm so glad that we have these things in place so that if you need them, they're there. But I did not want to hear about all these horror stories. <laughs> it's just a weird thing that people do. <laughs> yeah, it is a weird thing, and it's very common. I don't know. It, there's no filter for a pregnant woman. It's really, it actually, really upsets me when I. And it, it angers me quite a lot because there are certainly that that mama needs a bubble around her, oh. a bubble of protection. And I actually called it my bubble of peace. You know, it is. I had I had that feeling too. I was like, nobody come near me. I because I loved being pregnant. I really enjoyed that whole experience and. I just didn't want to be around negative things or people. I mean, I still don't, but I felt that even more so. And I think it has carried on to my life now, which is a beautiful part, I guess, for me. (laughs) But I just didn't want that. So I love that kind of visual you gave. It's like, this is my peace bubble. No, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, but no, thank you. I do not want any of your negative energy (laughs) in my bubble. Yes, yes, yes. Because that bond between mom and baby and the experience is so unique and so individual and so sacred and just so beautiful and such a, it's just a sacred, just a sacred thing that I really feel strongly that it needs the protection. And it is sad that people don't have that bubble and have experienced trauma. You know, that's, it's, it, that happens and that needs some attention and needs healing and work through 
and often we you know hurt people unfortunately hurt people so unresolved or unhealed trauma left in our lives often wants to be healed but can you know inadvertently like hurt other people in, in the way and the person's not meaning any harm it's just unresolved unhealed things that are you know for them so it's important we have protection because there are people out there who are hurt and are hurting that have unhealed stuff and we don't need to take that on Mm-mm. no we do not <laughs> Uh, this has been such an amazing conversation. I'm just so, so grateful to you and for all these amazing topics we were able to touch on. And I just want to take a moment before we get to the lightning round to acknowledge you, Loren, for the amazing, amazing work you're doing in this world to really support parents in their journey into one of the biggest, most important roles of their lives they will ever have, which is being a parent. And just thinking of all the lives that you are positively impacting, I want to thank you for that. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. And I also take this moment to acknowledge all the people who have supported me so I can do this. Mm. Yeah, it's it never gets old sharing the gratitude for all the people. You kind of touched on it, but along anyone's journey to healing, even though you are the person who needs to start it and run it and see it through. You have all these people along the way being your cheerleaders, your shamans, your Reiki practitioners, your counselors. And it's just, yeah, it's beautiful to think about all that support. So thanks for bringing that up. Thank you, Emily. My pleasure. Okay, lightning round. Favorite book? Yeah, my favorite book at the moment is actually Dr. Newfeld, And I think it's Gabor Mate's How to Hold On to Your Kit. Ooh, what's the kind of book about? I might need to read this. Parenting. Okay, okay. You know, I really, I haven't got into parenting books yet, but now that I have a two-year-old, might be time. <laughs> what is a favorite drink of yours, aside from your lemon collagen oregano oil water yes my guilty pleasure which doesn't happen often is bubble tea Mm, it's so it is so sickly sweet even when you get a half sweet but it is so good it's like creamy and then there's the pearls in there yeah it's delicious (laughs) what is a favorite tv show or movie of yours yeah, so my favorite movie for a very long time, I would like to say when it very first came out, which I can't tell you, it, it was The Notebook. And it's, <sighs> it still is. I am a romantic comedy. I love a good romance. It's one of my all-time favorite movies too. <laughs> it's so good. Now you made me want to watch it. <laughs> um, I know you've done a lot of really, really cool travel. So I'd love to hear your favorite place that you have been. Yeah, so my favorite place is actually is the Cook Islands. Ooh. Yes, and I used to, I, I lived on the Cook Islands for a couple of years, and it's still, so even though when I said what's my favorite place, it's like I've lived there, I've been to so many other places, but when I think of every place, it's still, it's my favorite. Mm. It is my favorite. And okay. the main island is called Rarotonga. That's where I was living, but there's a little island out called Atutaki. And it has, I think, the biggest, if you see the picture, it's got this um, huge, like, reef around it and this lagoon. So the island's, like, this tiny bit in the middle, and there's this huge lagoon. And they have these, like, clams, literally, like, this big, and you can dive down and touch them, and they close like this. Ah, So big. That's so cool. 
it's so and the fish is like amazing and they've got sand but it's just like tropical paradise but like low-key no people like hardly any tourists like the locals are so chill they're not like commercialized so much that they're like you know watching the tourists for everything like it's it's almost kind of a little untouched Mm. although it is popular for tourists it's more untouched than some other places i've been to Mm, that sounds amazing so we're not traveling right now obviously but if i could wave my magic wand and you could jump on a plane tomorrow where would you go you might have guessed i would go back to the cook island (laughs) that's awesome yeah we were trying to get back every year because I worked there, I've got lots of friends on the island and it's like, come, it's like a second home. It's also close to New Zealand. So family meet me there. The flight's only two and a half hours. So we kind of had like a meetup point there. So if I had to fly back anywhere, it would be there. Mm, I love that. Okay. Before we get to the very last question of the episode, let us know, Loren, where can we connect with you? And I know you have an amazing course as well. So maybe just tell people where they can find you and where they can find information about your course. Yes. So all my information is on my website, but if you want to find me on Instagram, which is probably easiest because I know that this recording is going to go up on Instagram. So it's at Mindful Space Counseling, counseling with two L's, Mindful, one L. And then it's got a link to my website and you can contact me through the website or Instagram. Mm, Amazing. And I'll make sure to link it up in the show notes as well so people can just click on through. Okay, final question. Here at Cool Mom 101 HQ, one of my favorite things to talk about, learn about, and teach women about is confidence. Because for me... I feel that confidence is what even started you on your journey to healing, having that amount of confidence that you could go out and find these things to help you heal. The confidence to go to school for what you're doing and to start your own kind of practice. So I'd love to hear from you. What does confidence mean? Yeah, great question. And I love this question. And confidence to me means resilience. So that is one of my prized qualities. And not to say I always have it, So not to say it's the prize quality in me, it's just the quality that I aspire to, to bring into my life more and the resilience to keep going. So when I make mistakes, when I fall over, the brushing myself off and getting up and keep on going. As a mum, the days where I don't live the ideal, brushing it off and trying again next time, that I can always try again, that whatever happens, it's not going to kill me, it's not going to knock me over, that I can, I have the capacity to get up and I can try better or I can do something different. And that ability to keep getting up. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so much, Loren. This has been really, really amazing. And I know everyone's going to love this episode. So thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. I appreciate you offering this and reaching out to me. And I wish you all the very best. And to all the listeners out there, I wish you also the very best on your journey. And I hope all the things that you look for come to you. Mm, I love that. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. If you liked our podcast, please be sure to leave a comment or review and be sure to tune in next time.